kind of jubilance because it's a very somber day. Um, I, I imagine if you are listening to the show right now, watching it on Facebook or whichever other mechanism or media you use in order to engage with us, uh, that you are holding out on an afternoon uh, service or in an evening service uh, or possibly uh, can't get into church uh, this Good Friday. And yet this is such an important day in the Christian calendar. Uh, obviously we are not uh, held uh, to um, feast days and to high holy days in some kind of religious way. Um, but it is a way that um, Christians all over the world and for the last 2,000 years have remembered really the central point of the narrative of the whole biblical story and um, the cross as Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for the sins of people just like me and and like you and so it is a day which gives us pause it's a day that we are reflective on it is a somber day a day that we remember our great sin and our great saviour um, this morning I will be with you from 9 o'clock until 11 o'clock. I'm really keen on engaging with you. I'm looking forward to speaking to you. You are listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit with me, Mark Penrith, your host. Uh, this morning I don't have Ted Pulpitzo sitting next to me. He is in Benoni. Uh, my partner in crime uh, extraordinaire is taking care of his wife in what I'm hoping is their last week <laughs> before she gives birth. Uh, I have no doubt they're listening and she's pretty faithful. Well, there again, maybe she listens in to listen to Tepo. Uh, you can comment, Lorato, if you are online this morning. <laughs> I'm from Crystal Park Baptist Church in Benoni on the East Rand, where I serve my local church as a member of staff. Uh, caring for the souls of men and changing light bulbs and setting up chairs <laughs> for Easter weekends. A shout out to everyone tuning in. Uh, on Table Talk we have various guests. Come on and we converse on a range of biblical subjects. Today will be no different. Uh, we will be speaking to Michael Swain from 4SA uh, and then later we'll be speaking to a good friend of mine, Mark Patterson, who may already be dialed in and listening in, in which case hi there Mark, looking forward to speaking to you shortly. Uh, on the controls this morning, pressing the buttons and making sure that the lights stay on is our co-laborer in the ministry. Uh, shout out to you, uh, Vusi. Lovely to have you with us, morning brother. Um, yeah, it's come to the time where we normally talk about the state of our nation. And uh, uh, joining us is Michael Swain. He is the executive director of 4SA. Um, Michael studied law abroad and he has been successful in business. He co-founded a church movement in South Africa, His People, Every Nation. Um, and he joins us this morning uh, uh, advocating and speaking on behalf of 4SA, which is a legal advocacy organization working to protect and promote the constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa. Michael, are you with us, brother? I am with you. Good morning, Mark, and good morning to your listeners. Yeah, morning, and uh, I, I guess a, a good Friday to you. Um, I, 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 I assume you're not in the lobby of a church waiting for the service to start, <laughs> that if you are going to church, it'll be later on in the day. Yes, I'm actually probably going to zoom in to the church service today, so that's it's... how I'm going to be celebrating. But what a what a powerful day. What a, as you say, the pinnacle of the uh, Christian faith is culminated in the cross of Christ and this is certainly a day when we can take pause and remember 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, Michael, I mean, you know, catch up from the last uh, couple of weeks. We've had a consistent narrative, as I've spoken to you on Fridays, um, really regarding the lockdown restrictions, the lockdown regulations, and particularly around the limitations that had been placed on uh, uh, Christian services, well, I guess all religious gatherings, um, but but in our particular uh, case in point, uh, Christian services, we were limited to 100 uh, indoors, 250 outdoors. Um, you guys had actually had the opportunity to address the Office of the Presidency. Uh, you had spoken to the President. Uh, Nadine had engaged with him. Um, you had made certain um, uh, suggestions or made certain requests to him. And this week, things changed. So exciting. Do you want to just fill us in, in terms of uh, what's happened and, and where to from here? Yes, thank you. Well, when we spoke to the president, Advocate Nadine Badenhorst made the presentation for uh, for SA. And we asked basically for a increase. Um, many people were asking for 50%. We were concerned about 50% because obviously you have major gatherings that can take place, major uh, convocations of, of gatherings take place. Mariah at the ZCC would be one where literally hundreds of thousands of people gather. And we were concerned uh, that there could be the possibility of that being pinned on the religious community as a super spreader event. And we thought that that would be a very negative thing because at the moment, uh, as we have ascertained uh, from the papers that have been uh, going back and forth in our court case, um, where we have now taken to court the Cogta minister following the complete shutdown, you might recall, back in January of the religious community, um, that they do not have any scientific evidence to support the fact that, or what their assertion is, that churches particularly have been super spreaders in this pandemic. Uh, they have literally no scientific evidence to back that. So we were concerned that they might find that uh, if there was an excessive gathering uh, over the Easter weekend. So we recommended actually a thousand outdoors and 500 indoors. The president actually gave a kind of a compromise in a sense uh, when he gave 500 outdoors and 250 indoors. But I do believe that for most churches, not the mega churches, uh, who are obviously still disappointed, but for most churches, that will mean that we can gather pretty much per normal, especially if you have multiple services on uh, these holy days uh, as a church. And that is critical. It is critical that we be allowed to worship together as a community, or at the very least, to be able to make our own health choices as to whether or not we uh, gather together in community to worship. Maybe just to underline uh, two things and then give a, a funny story. Um, it is critical that we gather. Uh, the word church itself is is really, if translated, is assembly. where We are the gathered ones. We're the called out ones. Uh, anything less than gathering just isn't church. It's it's something else. It's a it's a stopgap until we can gather. But but it's not actually the gathering. It's not the local church assembled. Uh, we have to gather. It's 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 hard baked into who we are and so I was very grateful uh, on when was it Wednesday 
uh, when the president made the announcement. <laughs> you know, Michael, I was sitting watching watching the president announce. Uh, you know, generally we tune in for all the state of the nations um, uh, on a broad range of topics and, and see what uh, what our presidents are saying. And uh, I was actually watching it with my cell phone in my hand. I had uh, WhatsApp open and I was engaging with a really good friend of mine, uh, Andrew Butterworth. He's at a church down the road from mine, God First, uh, East Rand. And uh, we were, we were kind of giving running commentary to one another as we were going through the president's speech and at times we were like oh this is it <laughs> it's going to open and then at other times as he i mean he kept his cards really close to his chest all the way to the very end when he said okay the the numbers are are 250 indoors and 500 outdoors did i get the numbers right you did yes <laughs> okay so school one or, or, or yep. importantly to say or up to 50 percent of the venue so oh, if yes, your venue thanks. seats 500 then 250 would be your maximum. If it seats 100, then actually 50 would be your mm. maximum. So uh, there is that 50% sort of, if, if you like, overarching parameter. Mm. Now, Michael, I, I mean, two things that spring to mind uh, just as, as, as we've got you on the line. Um, number one is you represent a very large cross-section of of churches in South Africa who who sign up with you and ask you to represent them before government and other um, institutions and, and kind of make legal representation on their behalf or, or lobby or advocate on their behalf. Um, just your general sense, um, you, you did say for the large majority of churches this actually enables them to worship and to worship um, uh, openly uh, without any issues. Um, generally, do you get the sense that, that most folk, with the exception of the mega churches, are very happy with the way things have gone? Um, uh, also, what's your sense, your general sense of of the Christian church, just in terms of their adherence to regulation and protocol? Because, you know, on the one hand, we do rightfully say to the government, listen, yeah, we, we need more. <laughs> we can't operate under these conditions. Um, but at the same time, even with rights come responsibilities. How, how, what is your perception of the church's response to regulations that are around and their adherence uh, and their good citizenship? I don't think that's a real word. <laughs> I think the church has been exemplary by and large. Yes. Uh, we have actually had more stringent lockdown conditions imposed upon religious gatherings than any other similar sector of society. We mm. have registrations. We mm. have uh, health records that must be kept. We have sanitation, social distancing, hygiene, cleaning. The, these have been there from the beginning, and the church has been remarkable, I think, in mm. the diligence within which they've been observed. But I, I think... When you ask me what the general sentiment is, yes, certainly the bigger churches are still very unhappy. And even though people have been able to open up and church services have been largely able to reopen, given these numerics that government has brought in, when you actually look at the data, there is no real reason why we should not be able to open up to an even greater extent. These numeric caps, in all honesty, really don't make much sense because if we are following the protocols, if we are doing the social distancing, then why should, for example, a 250 people gathering in a church building that seats 5,000 be more dangerous? It, it doesn't make sense. 
it, it obviously the numeric caps at one point just simply don't make sense but particularly they don't make sense because we should be following data government must be following data that's what they're supposed to be doing i look at the western cape for example i mean for the last 10 days deaths from covid uh, and bearing in mind that most of the deaths are people in a much older category, typically over 60, often with comorbidities, have been in single digits. Now, that's in a population just in the Western Cape of, well, just in Cape Town, it's four and a half million people. Mm. So there is no valid reason. Government can only restrict our constitutional rights. And one guaranteed human right in the Constitution is freedom of religion. And that is in section 15. They can only do so if it is reasonable, if it is justifiable, if it is proportionate, if there is no lesser way of limiting the right to achieve a particular purpose. And so when you look at the infection rates and the death rates, which are now pretty much consistent, why are we still locked down? We simply cannot, I believe, uh, be masked up and locked down forever. Government must be responsive to the scientific data. It cannot just keep imposing these limitations unless it has scientific evidence to back it up and i think that's the frustration which the religious uh, community is beginning to obviously feel but also to express i think there is increasingly a push and a strong push i mean every single interfaith group that was represented at the president's called over two wednesdays ago now uh, was asking for 50 percent and when you look at the data there's no real logical reason why that should not be the case mm-hmm. well michael i've got to say thank you so much for the work that uh, you and your team does and i realize that it's quite a large team of people uh, i think you guys do excellent work very grateful uh, for the way that you serve the wider community um, and uh, yeah I always enjoy interacting with you uh, you certainly do bring um, good perspective sound perspective and push the conversation forward so thank you so much for engaging with us really really appreciate it oh thank you Mark it's always a pleasure to be on the show and we look forward to the next time can I just take an opportunity to point uh, listeners to the 4SA website because I think that's probably going to be the best way to connect with you guys Um, the 4SA website you can engage with that listeners um, by going to www. I'm going to go with 4SA.org.za Michael that's it, forsa.org.za. Okay, that we have was a Facebook all... page, Freedom of Religion SA as well, so you can go there too. But yeah, we, we post um, latest information. Uh, all the, There are so many things, by the way, that are happening that are potentially uh, eroding our religious freedom rights. And we, we are literally a watchdog of these things. That's what we exist to do. And so, yes, we are very balanced in that sense because we take a legal perspective, but that ultimately is what counts. We live under the rule of law. The reason we are locked down is because there are laws which say we must be locked down. And so we are here to really monitor that uh, and to, uh, where necessary, contest that so that our religious freedom rights can be promoted and protected. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you enjoyed the rest of your Easter weekend. Go with God, brother. Thank you, thank you, and God bless. Well, listeners, it is, again, 
Wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, both uh, Vrissi at Controls as well as I enjoy your company. We enjoy engaging with you. We do enjoy listening to you. Uh, I do want to say a shout out to Gogo Hanna who is listening from Crystal Park. Uh, she says, greetings in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And then uh, just in case I didn't know it was her, says Markets Gogo Hanna. <laughs> and I'm listening in. Faithful, long-time listener. Thank you so much for joining joining us uh, this morning. If you are listening and you're wondering how to engage, and I'm going to give you the topic that we're going to be broadly speaking on today. I'm going to introduce um, uh, the uh, the interviewer. No, I'm the interviewer. The interviewee to you, um, Mark, uh, shortly. The, the topic is going to be, we're going to be talking about all matters around Good Friday. Um, if we had to give it a title, uh, I would give it the title, What is Good About Friday? Only because Mark and I have been engaging on that uh, previously in the week, and I thought it was a, a wonderful title. So asking the question, what is good about Friday? And we're really going to be looking at Jesus Christ, his person, and his work on the cross. If you've got questions related to that, you can shoot them in in the following ways. Uh, you can engage with us on Facebook, Radio Pulpit Radio Console. Uh, we are available on Facebook and I see your Facebook uh, comments and questions popping up right in front of me um, as I am talking. We are also on Twitter and the same is true of Twitter. You can engage with us at uh, 657 AM at 657 AM. That is our Twitter handle. Uh, we are also on WhatsApp and Telegram and you can send in WhatsApp voice notes. In fact, uh, uh, last week, uh, Google Hannah sent in a, <laughs> a WhatsApp uh, voice note. It was great to listen to. The number is 082-657-2722. Let me repeat that. 082 657 2729 and today we are speaking about Good Friday and so questions related to Good Friday related to the work of Jesus Christ related to the person of Jesus Christ as well as observations and uh, uh, and engagements from God's Word at this stage I am going to bring in Mark Patterson Mark it is great to see you again second time this week brother uh, lovely to have you with us uh, on the show today Thank you very much, Mark. It's lovely to be with you uh, on Pulpit Cancel, uh, Pulpit Radio, and uh, a joy to see you again. Thank you. Now, anybody who's listening in has just recognized that you do not have a Karoo accent. <laughs> the Karoo is a, is a geographic location down towards the beautiful Cape Town area in South Africa. So uh, let, let's just introduce who you are and where you are from, Mark. Well, I'm Irish, and I, I live in Northern Ireland, the, the county of Down, which is on the east coast of Ireland, uh, a beautiful place. Some of the, the listeners might be familiar with the song uh, where the mountains of Mourne sweep down to the sea, and they literally sweep down to the sea just about a mile from from where we are uh, at the little town of Newcastle in County Down. Mm. I, I mean, you were describing early in the week, you and I engaged because uh, you guys were celebrating Good Friday and I engaged a little bit with you uh, on on the topic of Good Friday. And you were just describing kind of like snow-capped mountain tops and beautiful mountains kind of hitting the sea and just temperate climate. Uh, yeah, sounds sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's a lovely, it's a lovely place to live, I must admit. And 
uh, uh, one of the United Kingdom papers, I think it was The Guardian, about five years ago, um, maybe not even five years ago, um, put out a, a, a survey of the five best places to live in the United Kingdom and Ireland. And Newcastle, I think, was, was in that group. So <laughs> it's a lovely wee spot. Not very big. Um, I often say to folks, we're about the same size as, as Monaco. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been there. It's only about two miles. Do you guys work in miles or kilometers, mm. by the way? Like the rest of the world, we work in kilometers. Okay, it's about <laughs> three kilometers uh, long and about two kilometers deep. And we have about normally about 7,000 people. That's like teeny tiny. Uh, you pretty much know everyone by name. Yeah, I just about yes. That's a, that's probably right. But that's that's an Irish thing, Mark. I know, yeah. isn't it? You know. Okay. They, they talk about we seem to have this nosiness that we will know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows the president of the United States that sort of way. So, <laughs> you know, I, I stay in a suburb, uh, Crystal Park. We have twenty four thousand people in our suburb. Our suburb is in the city of Benoni. There are two hundred and fifty thousand people in the city of Benoni, and there is no landmark which differentiates Benoni from the next city to the next city to the next city to Johannesburg to Pretoria. It's all just one massive conglomeration of people and businesses and houses and you know the idea of a of a of a little town with seven thousand people sounds absolutely idyllic. On the sea as well. Yeah, right right on the east coast. Um Northern Ireland itself is about 1.9 million, so we're we're not we're not a massive country. And if you take the whole of Ireland, I think it sort of tots up to about seven point something million people. Sure. So we're we're not. But back and, and Johannesburg alone are more, far more. Oh well, by comparison, on the far west side of Joburg is um, is an area called Soweto. You might have heard about it, you know, on the on the news. And there are at least five million people um, uh, in in that city. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're just talking about a massive area by comparison. But Mark, we didn't really we didn't connect in order to talk about <laughs> the sizes of the cities that we live in. Although yeah. it is fascinating. Uh, there, there is one other thing that I'd like to hear about Ireland right now. We, we just had a, a friend of mine, um, another Mark, uh, online talking about lockdown in South Africa and just some of the easing of restrictions that we've had even since you and I last spoke. Um, what, what does lockdown look like you know, on the other side of the pond and up the road in Northern Ireland? Well, I think um, we still come under, in some way, the U United Kingdom jurisdiction, but we work closely with the Republic of Ireland uh, because we're all we're all practically connected, if not politically connected. Um, and I suppose for Northern Ireland ourselves, yesterday was a landmark day, the first of April, um, when golf courses could open and online click and collect, if that's a familiar saying. Yeah. Uh, also, was able to open up. We're allowed to meet with six people um, outside and hopefully that will, will develop itself but I suppose for churches yeah. uh, it's it's a it's quite a significant time back just after Christmas um, we went into the second lockdown and I think the, the government or the executive as they're called here made a very wise choice they suggested to churches that they might like to think about not opening to safeguard. I think if they had told the churches not to open, um, 
Um, some churches here and some people here in Ireland, by the way, were, were, I don't know if you've ever heard the word Thran. Thran is stubborn. It's an Irish word. And we can be a bit stubborn. Um, so to ask us politely if we would mind not opening was nicer. So, um, But everyone's opening actually from today. Is uh, We can open um, from today officially and uh, definitely Sunday. So I think every church that I am familiar with is going to have a, uh, an Easter Sunday service. And what a day to come back, of course. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine just the, the joy of being... <laughs> You know, we've had a number of people um, uh, over the course of the last year. So we've gone into lockdown, out of lockdown, back into lockdown, and have had various levels of lockdown, not quite as long um, or as strict as what you've actually just described now. Uh, sometimes we think that uh, that South Africa is a police state, but a uh, very interesting listening to what you've just described now. Um, uh, at various different stages over the last year, as people have come to church, I have seen, I mean, literal tears in terms of just the emotional relief of of being back in community. Um, and if I had to be honest, particularly amongst the elderly, um, uh, particularly amongst widows, uh, as they've returned to church, I, I guess a, a, a very close source of friendship and family, um, there have been real outpourings of emotion. I, I mean, I've actually experienced it myself. I'm, I'm a quite an emotional mm-hmm. person by nature, um, and and I certainly have experienced great emotion as I've returned uh, to church and seen people return. Uh, some people, as I've seen them walk in, I have not been able to hold back uh, tears, you know, having not seen them for so long. What a joy that you are <laughs> getting back uh, to church uh, on Easter. Um, that's exciting. So when will your service be? 9.30, 8.30? 11 a.m., which I think is probably 12 o'clock um, South African time or Johannesburg time. So 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And, and then in the evening, you will know we're, we're, we're putting out a little series of interviews. Mm. Uh, well, one interview on Sunday night, but there's one actually going out this morning. Mm. And that's the one you had mentioned uh, or alluded to briefly about our conversation earlier in the week. And that goes out at 11 a.m. today. And the same title, What's Good About Good Friday? Well, now you've actually just raised another, I mean, just point of interest. How have you been serving the church over this period in Ireland? Because, you know, sometimes when we think of the South African church, we just think of all the constraints that we have in South Africa. And we have mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of constraints, you know, in terms of our maybe technical know-how and ability and just how much we've had to learn over such a short period of time and you know limited bandwidth and all of those kinds of things how has an irish church um uh, really kind of done church over the last period of time well we've had to learn a new word the word is zoom (laughs) um i'm sure you've had to learn it as well It, it wasn't back there just over a year ago and then it suddenly appeared uh I, um, Newcastle Baptist Church, of which I'm the pastor serving there, is part of the Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland. And there are 117 of those right from the very tip of, of Ireland right to the, the southern tip and east to west. Uh, the four provinces, Ulster, Munster, Leinster and Connacht. Um, and there are 117 churches. And, and we have had the opportunity of meeting uh, as church reps, as, as pastors, uh, certainly at the start of the first lockdown last March, every few weeks, 
just to try and learn what to do, uh, how to operate things, um, and how to keep contact with our with our people. It was it was very new. I think most of us naively thought that you know five six weeks this virus will be gone oh, and we'll be, we'll be back <laughs> and everything back to normal. But of course, it was never going to be like that. But we didn't realize that at the time until it just slowly dawned on us that this is a process. Um, so a lot of recording services, some some people have stayed and done live stream services. We have tended to record. We weren't entirely familiar with the live streaming concept. Uh, we, I'm very fortunate that my youngest son is, is a student at university studying videography and photography. <laughs> so he's doing all the editing. He's putting everything together. And we recorded usually on a Thursday and it went out on the Sunday morning. So it, it, it almost made for two Sundays in the week for the for the preacher. Mm. You know, mm. you were you were preaching on a Thursday mm. uh, and then you were you were sending it out on a Sunday and you didn't really relax until that was over. Mm. And it was almost like two Sundays in the week. So we've been learning to do that. We've just started live streaming last Sunday mm. uh, with the prospect of of having a congregation, albeit a minimal congregation, this Sunday because of the mitigations, uh, and then a live stream uh, as well. And I suppose we, uh, as a small church, you know, we put together a couple of teams, um, practical teams for folks who maybe were afraid to go out to the local shop so we could get some shopping for them, and a pastoral team mm. where we could just, you know, chat to people and contact people, make sure they're okay. So we've been trying those things. Mm. Um, a lot of things online, you will you will you will know by that. Mm. Um, and I suppose that that's how it has been. So we're slowly easing out of some of those things. Though I think some of the things that we've learnt will will continue and will certainly help us in, in the days to come. Yeah. Uh, so interesting how similar much of the experience of the church in Ireland is to a church in South Africa. Um, our two family has been helping out, you know, over the last year in terms of making sure that we could get anything out. I've got uh, one of my daughters uh, does pro presenter, um, kind of like a uh, an application that allows um, lyrics to go up onto onto our live stream. My wife does all the camera work. Uh, still, she's part of that that team. Although we we've got we've got quite a lot of people engaged, and they're they're members of teams. Um, but yeah, just uh, you. Utilized uh, many, uh, I was going to say many wives and many children, but I don't have many wives. Husband of one <laughs> wife, Liesel, and she actually is listening today, so I need to be careful what I say. Um, uh, utilized wife and, and and children in order to uh, in order to make sure that we were able to get stuff out. It's been a really really difficult time. Lots and lots of learning. At the same time, yeah. um, we are not IT professionals, right? Um, we're not actually cameramen. We are not digital technicians. Mm -hmm. We're pastors, and we are about a message. It's the message that is of primary concern. It, the reason why we pay such attention to technical aspects during pandemics um, is because we want to get our message across. We believe that it is an important message, a message that needs to be heard by our generation, um, and that we have a um, an onus, uh, a, a responsibility to clearly um, 
put the message across to a listening audience. It is our God-given task. And so it's to that message now I'd like us to turn for the next hour and a quarter, uh, Mark, and just, you know, talk around things, um, talk around Good Friday. Um, Yeah, just uh, uh, I'd like to give you the opportunity to to start and and maybe just flesh out what is good about Friday. Well, I often wondered about that myself, why why the name had come about. And I haven't really researched the answer to that. I've sort of just surmised it and uh, and chatting to yourself and a few others. Um, Maybe good's not even a strong enough word. It's it's the greatest, isn't it? Mm. You know, I think the the most wonderful thing uh, about today is that for me, every year that Easter comes, it, it seems to have more meaning. Uh, I was sharing with someone a a few days ago that uh, if if I went back in time, maybe 20 years, and I was in ministry then, um, Easter was, and I'm almost ashamed to say this, Easter was for me uh, a holiday. So you you did something on Good Friday, you you nipped off to another part of the coastline, came back again uh, for the Easter Sunday services and nipped off for, for Easter Monday, as we call it, and Easter Tuesday as a holiday. Um, and I think over time, as I've come to be more aware of the centrality of the cross and the resurrection in my own personal life, mm. it has to be then in the life of the church as well. So an understanding of what took place at, at this season of the year that we celebrate so greatly and so wisely and, and hopefully wisely and rejoicingly mm. um just takes us to that point where where we want to focus more on what Jesus Christ the son of the living God accomplished for us at the cross and all that that meant so that that's probably uh, where I'm at anyway you know Mark as you as you're talking you spoke about the centrality of the cross and um I, I read a, a book by that title. I think it was C.J. Mahaney that wrote it. Um, my wife passed it on to me a, a, a while back. The centrality of the cross. It, it's a phrase that we. It's a phrase that we use a lot, and and I think most people have an idea of why they use it. Um, just the importance of the cross, the priority of the cross, the primacy of the cross. But when we speak about the centrality of the cross, we we're also talking about the centrality of of the cross in terms of the of the entire biblical narrative. Um, that that the cross is sin- central to his story, <laughs> you know, to history, yes. to, to to his story, God's story. The the cross is 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 absolutely at the centre of that that whole um, narrative as it unravels and unrolls. Everything looks forward to the cross. Everything looks back to the cross. Um, you want to just you know talk to that and and flesh that out uh, to one degree or another. Yeah, and I think the the book that you mentioned there, or certainly a version of the book, is something I'm reading at the minute. Um, uh, CJ, I would say Machany, but that's an I think it's an Irish name that he has. Living, <laughs> I don't think it's Machany. That's the first time I've heard it said like that. Oh wow! Now I'll have to go online Shif- and, and listen <laughs> to a couple of other people pronounce it. <laughs> I'm sure CJ CJ being an American wouldn't pronounce it like that either. But Machany is an Irish name. Yeah. And uh, that, that's how we would say it over here. Um, but living the cross-centered life, or uh, the subtitle, keeping the gospel the main thing, mm. is what's there. But it's, it's as you you shared, and I, I'm constantly being amazed 
at my my lack of understanding mm. and yet thankful that I'm understanding a little more every day that the whole of, as you rightly say, his story is all centered and, and comes to this this pivotal point 2,000 years ago uh, just outside Jerusalem. And you go right back to the book of Genesis, for example, and, you know, everything we know was made perfectly by God. Uh, and then you come to Genesis chapter 3, and it all goes pear-shaped. And I suppose for, you know, for most of us, we wouldn't have been surprised if our Bible contained three chapters. Mm. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3. Uh, and there it stops. But in Genesis 3, you've, you've while you have the, the chasing of man out of the garden, of banishing away from God, there is this beautiful picture of, of redemption. Mm. There's a beautiful picture of rescue. Mm. Uh, and the sacrifice is made. Uh, the way I would say it is that um, there was a sacrifice tried by Adam and Eve in, in the garden, and it was fig leaves trying to cover up something shameful that they weren't even aware was shameful until something happened in their minds. They, they began to die physically. Their personalities began to die. Uh, I'm sure that night when they went home, having talked to God, uh, Adam and Eve had their first row, uh, and some of you c can read about that. But also they died spiritually. They died spiritually. And yet we, we read this lovely little section, God clothed them. And he clothed them with skin. It wasn't the skin of a tree or a leaf. It was the, the skin of an animal. Something had to die to cover shame. Something had to die to fix the problem. And from there... And the right through the rest of the, the prophets, God is teaching that and building on that and strengthening that. And so when you get this multitude of people a few hundred years later, you they have an understanding of sacrifice for wrong, for sin. They have an understanding that the, the God who brought them together must be appeased in some way. His, his wrath must be turned aside. And of course, all this is pointing to that one time where all of these things meet uh, at the cross and I love the way someone someone put it they were they were wondering and asking the question I'm not sure it may have been in that book it may have been in another book um, someone said why why did Jesus not just arrive as an adult and just go to the cross you know why did he come as a, as a baby well that was all to do with him living the perfect life as he grew mm. um, nothing against his father God no wrong thoughts perfect life in every way uh, and in his death and his resurrection he gives to the believer that life of righteousness having removed the, the wrath and the anger of his God the, his father God uh, by his sacrifice and covering our sins mm. uh, as well all in that one complete act and, and that is just wonderful and then of course the rest of the New Testament leading on from that is really the story of how how lives change when they understand this the likes of the, the most amazing two for me are, are, are a man called Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle 
and he was the very much religious direction, a, a theologian. And you have Peter on the other side, who's a fisherman, just an ordinary, we would call him in Ireland, an ordinary five-eighths guy, the average person. And yet both of them come to this place where they realize that their rescue is only and solely through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. Yeah, Mark, uh, you have covered uh, so much weighty stuff in such a short period of time. I want to go back and, and just kind of plow again <laughs> the fields that we have uh, that we have gone past uh, you, you you've word you've used some some really weighty words that are like really christianese christianized um yeah. that, that that I'd like us to explain uh, for the listening audience you, you started off with that beautiful analogy of chapter 3 of genesis where you said or, or, or I might be paraphrasing fig leaves didn't cover the sin in the garden but God's atoning sacrifice the skin of an animal covered their mm-hmm. sins and obviously uh, any listener can go back and read uh, Genesis chapter 3 the fall of man into sin subsequently God cursing the serpent uh, the woman and the man and then at the end of that story just before Adam and Eve are exiled out of the garden or, or during that kind of point in the narrative um, God covers them um, at the beginning of that chapter they cover themselves in fig leaves at the end of that chapter God covers them uh, in the skins of animals uh, I just want to I, I want to look at that word atoning if you can just draw it out what what does the word atone mean how, how is it used in God's word what, why is it important for us to understand in light of Good Friday uh, I think the word atone or, or atonement has uh, in the Bible two ideas to it that, that come together in, in one. And the, the first one is that it's a covering. Uh, another word that pops up in the New Testament is the word propitiation. My understanding and use of that is that God is covering his own anger for my sin. And the other word is he is covering my sin. And I suppose the picture that that God gave in the Old Testament that that stands out for many of us is the picture of of the the scapegoat. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with with that term. Yeah. Uh, It's a a Bible term. And and the scapegoat was one, there were two of them. There were two of these these animals and and one of them was was sacrificed and blood was shed uh, at God's command, God's demand. And the other one was was chased as far away as it could go, and, and hands were placed on the animal's head, as if to signify a transfer mm. of, of of wrong of sin, and then that animal was chased to the desert, as far away as it could go, uh, and that all happened on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, and that was a day that is still celebrated to some degree in, in Jewish circles, uh, certainly traditional and, and Jews who would do that. But for the Christian, that day has happened in history. The day of atonement well, was the day when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Good Friday, in other words, for us. Yeah, Mark, um, 
the the other the other word as we think about atonement we think about covering we think about christ and the cross the the other concept it's not so much a word or, or the word was wrath um you use the word appeased and then later you use the word propitiation which is so big i hardly understood yeah. it <laughs> um when we talk about about this idea of the wrath of God, when we talk about this idea of the appeasing of the wrath of God, of Jesus Christ, of propitiation, um, because I do understand it because it's a theological word which is of importance, especially as we come up to to Good Friday. What are we talking about? What 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 theological cogs are turning, um, and and how should we understand these things? I suppose the simplest way to look at it is that that the God who reveals himself in Scripture is, uh, by his own description, holy, holy, holy. And when you get something like that in triplicate in the Bible, uh, it sort of says, listen, hey, really listen to this. You've got to really understand this. And it's as if it comes across like that. And God captures the attention of people. If he is a holy, holy, holy God, then there is absolutely nothing that will diminish, rob from his glory, take from his glory, diminish his glory, uh, can stand in his presence that is not also holy, holy, holy. And for me as a person to stand before God I realize there is a vast difference between the God of the universe the sovereign Lord of everything and me because I do not think as a natural born person I do not think like him I do not act like him I rebel against him I choose my way over his way um and on all of these things and more are wrong. And if he's a God who cannot stand wrong or sin, then he has to be angry, rightfully angry, with with my sin, with me. Uh, and that leaves me in a very difficult position. Uh, it leaves me in an impossible condition and position. And it's only... If God actually does something about it, then his anger for my wrong can be removed. I suppose that's the basis of that. Uh, I'm thinking of a quote that I have stuck in my head by R.C. Sproul, who said that God saved you from himself. God saved mm. you by himself. God saves you for himself. This idea that uh, we have sinned against God and if left to our own devices, in reality, we would just run around helter-skelter with no hope really in hell because that is the only just punishment for our sin. And yet God himself sends himself, he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for our sins. And on the cross as he dies, a payment is made. Not in the C.S. Lewis styled 
uh, way of the payment, you know, Aslan, the great lion, laying down his life on the altar to the ice queen. Uh, not in that fashion. Uh, the payment is not made to Satan. The payment is made to appease the wrath of God to sin, that we might indeed stand in the righteousness of another, really clothed in the righteousness of another. Just like Adam and Eve, the fig leaves didn't work. God provided animal skins. One day we will stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and yet all anger, all uh, um, all righteous wrath of God completely absorbed in the death of his own son uh, that mm. we might indeed uh, have peace with God <laughs> peace deal, signed, sealed and delivered um, what a wonderful, amazing thought Mark, we, we're coming up for for 10 o'clock and, and I, I want to give us a, a time just to breathe um, uh, we would also like to um, uh, play a, a couple of uh, ads uh, very grateful for people who keep the, the radio uh, spinning and the lights on um, and so we want to give space for that uh, on the hour but even as we come back uh, your your description of holy 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 magnificent when we see something repeated three times like this in scripture we should understand it like this to listen this to listen to this to really listen to this you've got to listen to this i i, I love that uh, and god is described as holy 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 he's also described in his word as just he's also described in his word as merciful he's also described in his word as gracious as compassionate as long-suffering as loving uh, and and really when we come to that word love um we we do we we remember that god's word says that god is love uh, i want us to when we come back from the break and um, really talk about the love of god meeting the holiness of god meeting the justice of god in the cross uh, in the centrality of the cross how these different uh, attributes of god are manifest and put on display uh, to a watching world as jesus christ suffers and dies for the sins of men um but listeners at this stage we are going to cut across to some ad breaks uh, we do look forward to chatting to you straight after well, listener, it is great to have you back. We are talking about what is good about Friday. My, myself and uh, uh, my friend Mark, uh, and that might be a bit confusing. We've got so many Marks in the room right now. Um, uh, my friend uh, Mark from Ireland are talking about a range of topics um, related to Good Friday. I uh, do see a number of um, comments and um, memes going up onto uh, onto Facebook. Thank you for to everyone who is engaging. If you've got questions as we are interacting, as Mark and I are interacting on just some of the theological highlights that flow so naturally out of this time of the year, um, please do engage with us. We are inviting you to join the conversation. Uh, as we speak, engage, send through questions, or if you have comments, um, how might you do that? You ask. <laughs> you can do that by on Facebook dropping a comment uh, onto the live stream uh, the Facebook um, uh, profile page profile uh, is radio pulpit or radio console uh, Mark you're going to need to work on your Afrikaans if you get that right ra radio cancel is not correct it's radio console uh, our Twitter handle is at 657 a.m. and we are also on whatsapp and telegram uh, listen carefully for the number now 082 657 27 
0.29 and I really do enjoy engaging with you. Your voice notes are the best. Love getting those in uh, so that we can actually hear who we are talking to. Let me just re-engage and reintroduce uh, the person I'm interviewing this morning. I'm speaking to Mark Patterson. Mark Patterson is a pastor in Newcastle. Newcastle is in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is really, really far away. And so he has a strange and yet somewhat melodic accent. Love listening to your voice, brother. <laughs> that Irish accent is uh, is really, really cool. And it's great that we can have you online. I, I just I love the way that technology <laughs> brings us so close together. Um, great to engage with you. Mark, before the break, I said that we were going to chat about the attributes of God. I just uh, thought that maybe just as a as a way in and as people start to maybe think of some of the questions that they might want to ask you um, or ask related to Good Friday, some of the questions that we've covered, atonement, the wrath of God, uh, and such the centrality of the cross in terms of the biblical timeline, that maybe uh, you and I can just talk a little bit about how we met. Um, how, how did we meet? Uh, remind me, I'm getting to that age where I'm a bit forgetful. Well, and I'm older than you are, Mark, but thank you very much, by the way, for having me today. I've never heard my voice described as melodic. That's interesting. But, but there you are. So, um, and I, I, funny, you, funny you mentioned that. I was with a, a little older lady last night or yesterday afternoon just chatting to her. Um, just on Easter, we were distanced and her, her daughter was there, her carer. And um, I just said, coming out you know I have to speak tomorrow morning all being well to our part as part of a radio show in South Africa and she says oh that's a long way to travel <laughs> I love it leave early to get there <laughs> so, that's beautiful I was just totally sincere beautiful yeah um I forgot your question. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I was just—I oh, yeah, was just rem remembering back to how we met. How, how long ago yes. was that? Because time really does it, fly. It was just coming up on on two years ago um, in Washington D.C. Yeah, uh, they had a conference or a, a, a teaching conference called uh, Intensive, run by Nine Marks, and I, I had actually applied for something slightly different, but they directed me to that. Uh, as part of a sabbatical that I had gone on, I'd never had a sabbatical before, and and that sort of was the one I was directed to. And to find there, I went there a little bit. I suppose feeling a little bit intimidated. This 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 guy from from Ireland just arriving in the states, and uh, I'm I'm told the USA is a lot bigger than Ireland, so it was quite a a scary place. But very quickly, <laughs> meeting this group from all over the world uh, of about. I suppose about 20 guys so we had folks like yourself and a few others from South Africa some friends from India some who were um, others living now in Dubai uh, some from Canada some from France one from Romania and and we all just sort of clicked together and I, I know very quickly there were there were two marks in that group uh, the two of us and I was given the name Mark 1 and you were the given the name Mark 2 uh, that wasn't uh, anything to do with um, like a, a general uh, over a sergeant or a, a major or anything like that because I reckoned you were the, the better preacher when I and it had to nothing you. to do with our size or the amount of hair that we have exactly absolutely yes. not 
<laughs> I think it had to do with age, but <laughs> I, I, was... I think I think it had to do. Uh, it was it was totally yes. based on looks. They uh, they gave you uh, <laughs> Mark One just because you've got that uh, that that uh, kind of cave that you can still flick over and looked at me and thought, no, this is rabble. <laughs> we'll put him to the back of the line. <laughs> um, <laughs> nine nine marks has been quite influential yeah. in terms of um, a church movement in South Africa we have Tommy van der Volt who is on that group as well um, as well as some other you know key advocates for nine marks of a healthy church which was a book that was written mm, must be 20 years ago um, by Mm -hmm. an author Mark Dever who pastors Capitol Baptist Church uh, which is where that nine marks group is run out of Uh, and maybe just if there are listeners that are listening in that are pastoring or have the kinds of influence where you can connect a pastor with a good ministry nine marks is the kind of ministry that you either want to follow so that you can gear yourself up in terms of the christian life mm-hmm. or the kind of ministry that you want to advocate in your church or 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 at least uh, engage with your pastor around uh, when you think of the nine marks you don't have to spill all nine of them out as if you know them right mark but um what, what are the kinds of uh, of topics that that the nine marks ministry engages around um, for me, really, it, it was everything that we were probably doing as a church, but in a very haphazard way, if, that, if that's a familiar term to you guys. And, yeah. and the nine marks kind of give us a biblical framework of, of what it means to be a healthy church in the area, for example, of, of understanding sin and understanding conversion, understanding mission, uh, things like that. And... Um, the more I, I think about it, the more tuned in I became to the fact that that God really wants us to be healthy as a local church. And mm. actually that ties in with, with something I'll be hopefully speaking about on, on Sunday morning, but that, that's, a, that's a different subject. But just God's, God's love and God's idea for the local church. Uh, it's his idea. Some people think it's, it's our idea. Uh, as humans but the the local church is God's idea totally and it was really just the what it means to be a healthy church that honors God and and that's been a tremendous help to me and hopefully is being a tremendous help to our church and I um, once I mentioned that to some of my my colleagues here in, in Ireland I found that they were reading the same books they were looking at the same things mm. and mm. Uh, the, the Nine Marks books have really gone across Ireland in, in, in a great way. Mm. Now, at the same time, I don't think Mark Dever or any of the Nine Marks staff would want us to to highlight those above Scripture, and that's often something that, that happens with books, isn't it? But yeah. it's coming right back, drawn right back to the Scriptures um, to read them, and just with this helpful framework of how to go about having a healthy church and being the church that Jesus wants us to be and that honors him and, and everything. Now, just before the break, we said that we were going to come back. We were going to start to talk about the attributes of God and how they are demonstrated, how they are seen in the cross. The holiness of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the grace, the mercy, the love of God. Uh, 
in the cross of Christ, how the centrality of the cross really brings into sharp focus all of who God is in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. I, I really do want us to get there because, uh, I mean, that's just one of the most wonderful conversations <laughs> that we could have. <laughs> who is who is God? Um, at the back of our minds, we can just start ticking over a listener question. Uh, Teresa, long-time listener, how's it, Teresa? Shout out to you. Uh, says, greetings all, trust you are great. Please confirm what day the prayer at Gethsemane took place. Was it Thursday or was it Friday? And he goes on to ask, oh, and can Mark, please ask Mark, why and now which Mark? Mark 1 or Mark 2? You've got to be really, <laughs> really clear when you ask questions on the show. Why in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 51, there's an account that seems somewhat random. Uh, this is added right after verse 50. Well, 51 does come after 50. Thanks, Teresa. Speaking about how they all left him and fled. What is the significance? Thanks in advance. Those are two fantastic questions. Let me give you a little bit of context, Mark. Um, number one, Teresa is a member at Crystal Park Baptist Church. He has been listening to the show for longer than I've been on the show. Uh, before me was Tyrell Hogg, and Teresa really engaged with the show and actually came to Crystal Park Baptist Church off the back of of uh, meeting me as I was a guest on the show back in the day. Um, uh, Teresa is uh, a young, sharp mind, loves asking challenging questions all over the place. Um, and so the one is related to chronology. The second question is related to an activity that we've been doing in our church. We we have these. Um, in fact, you and I spoke about it uh, briefly. I think on Wednesday when we when we chatted to one another, uh, we have these WhatsApp buses uh, that people can climb onto, and and they're really Bible reading WhatsApp buses where there's a conductor. In this case, it's me, and we over the course of the last ten days have been reading through the Gospel of Mark as a run up to both Good Friday to Saturday. We've got uh, a couple of services at church tomorrow and then Easter Sunday um, we will be completing Mark chapter 16 1 to 8 uh, on Easter Sunday <laughs> maybe we'll talk about short endings and long endings of Mark as well um, but 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 really just reading through the through the gospel accounts and I think Teresa is on that bus and might have been reading through that with us uh, and so this morning we read uh, Mark chapter 14 so we, we, we'll get to that Teresa thanks for raising the question we'll get to the answers to those two questions um, after we discuss the attributes of God in the cross of Christ Mark you want to kind of kick off that conversation I think in a marvelous way we, we see all the attributes of God focused in on this particular period of history. Um, the holiness of God is there and that holiness is this displays his, his wrath and his wrath is covered by the work of the cross. We see his love there uh, otherwise he would not, uh, Jesus would not have come to the earth and would not have walked those steps through Gethsemane. And we see his love in particular, possibly even before the cross in Gethsemane, mm. where where Jesus cries three times. And the word is that he shouts, he shouts at his father three times, asking that this cup would be removed. And what is the cup? The cup is the, 
the anger of God that will be poured out, the abandonment of his father, something that he had never experienced. And we can't really fully grasp, but we know that there was a separation and that there's that tremendous love. It was love that kept Jesus in Gethsemane and going back three times. And it was the love of the Father for us that that failed him, sorry, not failed, that he, he chose not to answer. He strengthened his son, but he didn't answer his son. Mm. And I thought that was very significant. So, and, and you've got, of course, grace, which is not something that flows in, in any other way than God giving to us what we really don't deserve. And that's the the forgiveness. We've got the we've got so many things that come together at the cross that that, that a radio show of this length would never cover, and nor would a multitude of, of Sundays. Mm. Um, but we've just got to focus in maybe on, on one of them. And um, for me, the someone described it as the greatest verse in the Bible for them. I think it was a guy called Leon Morris. Um, you may have heard of and yep. he, I think it was Leon Morris who said um, the he, son he, of he's God the, he's who the loved com- me he's the commentator right um, uh, the RVP yeah. the RVP commentary series I've seen I've seen his uh, I've got him on my shelf yeah yeah and likewise here too um, but he, he is quoted in that book by C.J. McInerney and um, <laughs> I'm nearly sure it was, it was his quotation you're still laughing at that, by the way. <laughs> Enjoy your accent, brother. I really do. <laughs> and he simply said to, to him, that was the greatest verse in the Bible. Mm. That the, the son of God, Paul, the apostle said, the son of God loved me hmm. and gave himself for me. Mm. And it's either himself or someone else who, who commentates on that and says, why did he not say the son of God who loves me? Present tense. Hmm. or will love me hmm. and it's, he highlights that it's because the apostle Paul in his own mind is redirected always to the centrality of the cross and what took place there and all the attributes of God that were revealed at that time so when he uses the word loved past tense he's going right back in his mind to those days of Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified outside of the city mm. wall. Uh, so there's so many aspects of of God's attributes that, that come together and to um, to share them all in, in one would be very difficult. Um, if I could share one little story with you, Mark, if that's okay, and yes, your listeners. Yeah. Um, it goes back to approximately between seven and 700 years and 800 years before Jesus came we have a prophet the prophet Isaiah who wrote in, in what we know as 52 and 53 now those uh, numbers weren't there there for our benefit they weren't there in Isaiah's day but that's irrelevant and there are those beautiful words right in the middle that said um, very simply that he was wounded for our transgressions mm. and he was bruised for our iniquities he was crushed sorry he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities and upon him the chastisement 
It was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Um, and the story I just wanted to share for a moment is of a guy called George. And George was someone I knew in my very first church. So I was quite young. And George at that stage, um, he died when he was 99. And so he's coming up close to that when this this period takes place and I started to get to know him. Uh, and George, um, he was one of those people who always loved to read newspapers, read books, watch television, be up to date. Mm. Uh, a lovely Christian gentleman. But as those years were coming on, he couldn't see. Hearing was a bit of a struggle. Motobil uh, mobility was, was hard as well, as you can imagine. Um, and the Lord just prompted me one day to ask George again, George, how did you come to know Jesus? And at that stage, his, his whole face and whole demeanor just lit up. And he told me of, a, of being in a tent meeting away back in the 1930s. And in that meeting, the preacher was talking about Isaiah 53 and verses 5 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray is verse 6. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it was verse 5 in particular. And whatever the preacher said that drew George to the Lord was that he saw for the very first time that Jesus on the cross was actually taking his place. Yes. Uh, as Jesus bore the anger of his father lovingly, that's the anger that George should have borne. As Jesus died, George should have died. Mm. And he, his face lit up when he said, I want to change the verse slightly. And he said, he has borne my griefs, or he was wounded rather for my transgressions. And he highlighted the word my. He was crushed for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I am healed. And he highlighted those personal uh, pronouns that, that just it was so real to him what had happened on the cross sure. uh, and to me that was as the greatest illustration that I can think of of uh, something that we call substitution mm. where a great exchange took place he for me and uh, all the attributes of God were, were focused in on that time mm. and it was it was all for us the great the great exchange he for me i i just unbelievable the, the this this reality that i could not make things right with god myself because of his holiness because of his high standard because of his righteousness and his utter separation from sin how hopeless i would have been if god did not make things right with me himself um he for me the the idea that you know on the banks of the jordan river as john the baptist knee deep as i see him in my mind um knee deep in that in that river looking up at the bank seeing his cousin jesus christ coming and, and saying to the watching crowd uh, lo the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world that jesus mm. is that lamb that lamb that was substituted and died in our place yeah, just uh, amazing. This this day, Good Friday, 
not so much this day 2021 because <laughs> what day is this it's a it's a random day in terms of the in terms of the unraveling of history but but a day that is opportune a great opportunity for us to look back and remember that our savior died in our place and that we will be worshiping him for that fact <laughs> together with a myriad of witnesses from every tribe and tongue and nation forever and ever declaring of the Lamb of God that was slaughtered that a people might be bought um, glorified in heaven above singing eternal hallelujahs <laughs> and yes my mind is cast to Revelation 5 and uh, Revelation mm-hmm. 4 and just those pictures of the, the praise that will be due Jesus Christ because of his beauty and his splendor and his majesty we, we think of a cross and rightly we don't think of a beautiful picture um, <laughs> I, I'm reminded I, I, I told the story last night to my to my wife and to a friend that we were talking to um a few years ago well 10 years ago i arrived at crystal park and uh and uh, it was easter I, I started at crystal park on the 1st of april and easter followed very soon after that and uh we we really wanted to reach out to our suburb so we went and we handed out flyers and uh, bought a license uh, to show uh, the passion of the Christ. Um, I'd never seen the movie before. I'd heard about it. It, re- it had just come out a, a few years previous. I, I hadn't seen it. I'd heard about it. Um, we, we arrived on the evening on the Thursday and only one person pitched up. Uh, we started at a church that was really very, very small. Um, and, and one person pitched up to, to watch this movie. And we sat down and we started watching. And, and within the first you know, a couple of <laughs> literally the first couple of seconds, we we realized. Hang on, wait a minute. We need to get the kids out of the room. This is not child friendly. And so the kids uh, mm-hmm. went through to the fellowship hall to go and uh, read books or play games or whatever. And then we sat and we watched this movie for the next, I don't know if it's an hour, hour and a half. It felt like three weeks. It was excruciating. I've never seen such gratuitous violence like that in my entire life. I I squirmed with anguish. Uh, It felt almost physical watching that movie. It was was terrible. Um, Well, we got to the end of it and I I stood up and... uh, and my desire was to the <laughs> shame to the one person who came to watch the movie. I, I desired to share the gospel, <laughs> and the gospel's not complicated. But I couldn't get a word out. I, I just wept and wept and wept. I, I spent the next mm. twenty minutes just crying. And at that stage, I wasn't crying because I'd been, you know, post-traumatic stress of watching that movie. It really is an incredibly violent uh, show. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I was crying because of this realization that it was he for me that Jesus died in my place and I wanted to share the gospel and the gospel is so simple Jesus died for our sins he rose from the grave on the third day that's what we joyfully celebrate on resurrection Sunday and that everyone all men are called upon to repent to turn away from their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that they might live that was what I wanted to say I wanted to say it as calmly as I've just said it now, um, but I sobbed, and the more I cried, the more I cried. It was just, it was overwhelming me. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed for about twenty minutes until eventually, I, I, I through my sobbing, I, 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 I said the gospel as best as I possibly could, and 
<laughs> apologize to the poor lady. We 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 had bought my wife and I had bought um, boxes and boxes of Easter eggs. I think she got more Easter eggs <laughs> on on that Thursday than we've ever been able to give out to anyone subsequently. Because since then people have come <laughs> when when we've uh, when we've had uh, Easter activities. But just remembering that Jesus died in my place, and I wasn't sobbing out of grief at that stage. I was sobbing out of pure joy, joy that Jesus died for me. I, I can't wait to worship him and see him face to face. Let's just talk uh, briefly about some of the um, uh, questions that have come in. Uh, Teresa, you asked, uh, did the prayer in Gethsemane, um, did that prayer happen on Thursday or did it happen on Friday? Mark, do you want to take a stab at answering that question? I think something like that is Pardon me. Something that has been discussed uh, for a long time, and and I have personally never got my head around the, the exact timings of it. I suppose that's because my mind thinks in a in a Western time zone, and and the Jewish times uh, of doing things are, are are very different. So some people, for example, would would believe that Jesus was crucified on the Thursday. Um, others would, as most of us would probably accept it, it was Friday. Um, so the honest answer is I'm I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Um, but as one commentator, and I'm going back a few years since I studied this, so it's just trying to refresh my brain a wee bit here. Um, said the timing in that sense is is not overly significant. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can get lost in the, the periphery and the peripheral issues. But it's what happened in Gethsemane. It's what happened during the night of trial. It's what happened the next morning as mm. Jesus was taken to the cross. Mm. Uh, I think that's that's the key area. But there are there are people who will who will who will differ and I would suggest to uh, to the listener, if they really want to chat about that, to come privately to yourself and uh, to study some of the Jewish timings that we'll give. I do know that the, the crucifixion tied in with the the Day of Atonement, so it had to fit in with that. And yeah, there and are many uh, comings together there. And then you have that whole discussion regarding uh, the Sabbath, uh, Holy Day, High Sabbath, and uh, all the yeah. complexities in terms of the commentators. For, for me, Teresa, I would say um, indisputable. Jesus died. Uh, Jesus rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. Um, my kids and I have been just talking around the significance of the first day of the week and how that relates to the public worship of the New Testament uh, in the in the New mm-hmm. Testament um, and how it's differentiated from the Sabbath, um, the Saturday, the last day of the week. Um, as we work back in terms of what happens during the course of uh, that period, including the burial of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ, uh, we then work ourselves back to Friday, and it would seem that that Jesus praying in Gethsemane would have happened in the early hours of Friday morning, maybe the late hours of Thursday through to Friday. Uh, we do know that the upper room discourse and the conversation, uh, the Last Supper, uh, which is recorded in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22, as well as in John 13 all the way through to 17, um, that that is uh, that that happens and and they leave that location and they then move to Gethsemane where Christ prays and where he is 
is arrested and from there he goes on to the various different trials up to five trials between four and five trials uh, that he sat through um for me um whilst it, it's it's an interesting conversation like what happened chronologically over that period i, I do I, I find it interesting i've enjoyed studying that uh, over the years i did post a link to a, a really good infographic um to the radio pulpit um uh, Facebook page uh, into the comments uh, for the show notes uh, for today uh, that I have found very very helpful over the years just to keep all the various different role players and where they are and who they are with um, and chronologically how things are going through in terms of uh, Passion Week um, and the arrest of Christ but w- when we talk about time Teresa you know what really um, um, I find so interesting is just how long Jesus was awake for um, you know, they start the preparation of the upper room um, probably early on Thursday, and then you've got the Last Supper, and then you've got Christ's prayer in Gethsemane. You've got his arrest, and then you've got trial after trial after trial um, as he stands before the high priests and before Herod uh, and before Pontius Pilate. Um, and then you've got the slow, agonizing, cruel, long walk to the cross, um, and then the crucifixion itself, and just how utterly exhausted Christ must have been, our Lord and our Savior, you know, must have been as he laid down his life that we might live. Um, You know, we think of the power of God rightly, those hands that flung stars into space. Um, But but today it's wise that we also think of the humanity of God um, how he slept in the in the hull of a ship um, even during a storm exhausted um, because he had healed him, himself to humanity he had come in the form as a man uh, he had descended uh, condescended all the way to death how, how Jesus ate and lived a life just like you and me and experienced pain and agony um, as he died on the cross Um, you know not even to spend time describing the agonizing pain that he went through but just to compound that to talk about just how exhausted he must have been um, awake the whole way through Thursday awake the whole way through Friday as he laid down his life that he might live Uh, a great great question uh, to resource and one definitely worth uh, uh, thinking through I do hope that that infographic I can see that you found it um, is helpful to you uh, your second question fascinating um, I'm going to read the text it's in Mark chapter 14 uh, verse 50 reads that they all deserted him and ran away that's really at the arrest of Christ uh, Mark um, and then in verse 51 this almost random um, sentence now a certain young man wearing nothing but linen cloth was following him they caught hold of him but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked who was that guy why was that passage included in Mark's gospel what is the point Mark well and uh, the most basic answer to that is we're not told who it was so we have to sort of surmise who it might have been so and I think that's important. Mm. Um, possibly it it might have been Mark himself. Some think. Uh, I don't think it was Peter. Peter is the man behind Mark's gospel. So it may have been something that that young Mark was was there somewhere. We don't we don't honestly know. Mm. Um, but I think this most significant thing for me 
out of that is is the running away. Um, it's possible he was the last one to run away, um, but all the others were prophetically uh, told, or it's told to us prophetically, that they would abandon him. Mm. He would really be on his own. And I think that's the important message that comes out of this, is that there was a lonely figure left in Gethsemane from from the group that had been there and the group that might have joined them and the witnesses that might have watched. Um, so the soldiers came along, others came along with Judas, but there was one person who and still in essence was, was facing extreme loneliness and that was Jesus. Although I have to say that when he prayed in the garden, he was looking into that extreme loneliness Mm. And such was the the pain that that he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. There was a physical change in his life. He he almost died in Gethsemane. Sure. He was so close to death in Gethsemane. Mm. Such was the agony of of loneliness. And then, of course, to be taken in a crowd, but alone, uh, and ultimately to a, a crucifixion that was, or a trial before the crucifixion, it was shameful and to glance around and see people like Peter who had, who had run away um, and then to, to hang on a cross and to scream my God my God, why have you forsaken me? And some people think he said the whole of Psalm 22 where that comes from uh, but all that is recorded for us are those highly important words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. And that's something we we find very difficult to enter into um, because the Trinity was the closest family that could ever be. Uh, one in everything they did, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And yet there was a deliberate breaking of that um, as Jesus cried those words on the cross. Mm. And I think the most important application of that uh, for me is, is still so amazing, but so comforting. And there's hardly a week goes by, Mark, that I wouldn't get an opportunity to share this in, in some way with, with a, a fearful believer who is so fearful that, that God will abandon them. And it's the fact that Jesus being abandoned on the cross by his Father means that you, means that I, means that anyone else who puts their trust in him will never, ever be abandoned by God. And Romans 8 shares that in a most amazing way. Paul is Paul's a great man for putting lists up in the Bible, as you would know. Yeah. And he lists several things in Romans 8. And the outcome, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. So I think that's the message even of, of that little portion uh, there. If you want to go in from a slightly different angle, and I'll not, I'll not take up much time with this, it's just that here was someone who saw what was going on. Mm. And I have often had people say to me, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, uh, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
you know, they seem to say different things about the same event. And I say, well, exactly. If if you watched a a, a traffic accident at a at a set of traffic lights, and there were three other people who saw the same thing, and you all immediately wrote down what you saw, you would write it in a different way, but about the same event. And maybe that writer there, if it was Mark, I don't know, uh, who wrote that uh, about going out of there. But but the most important fact to me is about the abandonment of the son by the father that we might never be abandoned I, I really like the way that you've answered that So, uh, and, and I just want to draw out in actual fact the mechanisms for answering the question because if there's a listener because I think you would have satisfied anybody that was listening in um, but if there's a listener listening in I, I just want to explain what, what Mark has done and why it's so important number one is you didn't say what wasn't in the text uh, you were honest the text doesn't actually tell us who it is um, and so you remain true to the text you did surmise that there's a possibility that it was that it was Mark and you also used um, other data that we have from from scripture that Peter would most likely have been behind Mark's gospel account in terms of the the main narrator uh, that Mark would have gotten much of this information from um, but you but you you uh, you highlighted that uh, that uh, uh, that the text itself doesn't say it but then you went and you found what the most important what was the text actually saying from verse 50 to verse 52 what was the what was the big idea that the that the writer is trying to convey and that is abandonment that everybody abandoned him including this person and later on the cross as Jesus dies we've got we've got this further kind of um, meta um, conversation narrative of abandonment and how that ties in to the whole gospel narrative um, and and does that so well so rather than spending a lot of time dwelling on what the text doesn't say <laughs> and drawing um, small inferences from all over the place uh, you've dwelt on what the text does say um, and what is the main idea that's been trying to convey I, I really loved that answer thank you so much Mark um, uh, just a, a, another another option or another possibility is that it was Theophilus, Luke 1, 3, the rich young ruler, the ruler that sold all and wrote Hebrews uh, family. Um, so uh, the possibility being uh, put forward that it was Theophilus and that he wrote Hebrews. That is the first time I've, ha- I've heard of Theophilus put forward as the writer of Hebrews. That's that's interesting i'm gonna go away and do a little bit of a little bit of reading on that thanks for offering that uh listener mark um we've got 20 minutes left uh to talk about the cross and um i, I don't think that we would do justice to to good friday um if we just you know wore black and lit candles and put them out uh, one mm. by one if we didn't at least with a christian with christian foresight or really um kind of like knowledge of the whole narrative if we didn't look forward to how the cross relates to the resurrection and how the resurrection relates to life and how that life is good for us and how it just gets us excited and uh, allows us to wake up in the morning and the true you know the the joy of of friday and so i i don't want us just to stay on on friday and on the death and crucifixion of christ uh, let's just talk a, a a moment about the intermediary state what happened to jesus christ um post the cross uh, you know what happened in between in between friday and uh and resurrection sunday 
do we know anything about what happened? Do you want to uh, put forward a, a, an idea, brother? Well, um, I suppose the first thing that comes to mind, Mark, and, and obviously these are these are not rehearsed questions, so it's interesting, <laughs> um, is that Peter tells us that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison. Um, and there's been a lot of conjecture over conjecture rather over what that actually means um, during this interim period of of being of dying and um, coming out of the tomb. Um, the one that springs to mind, I can't remember all the arguments for it, and there are, there are some different ideas as to what happened. But it's as if I think Jesus goes to to those back in even Noah's day who, uh, unless in Genesis chapter 6 on, you can read that story, uh, others can, um, and Jesus goes to those people and basically says, Noah was right, it has worked, it is finished, it is complete, and he preached to the spirits in, in prison. Mm. Um, I haven't gone into all the detail of that. It's a long, long time since I looked at that passage. <laughs> the the the, um, the wording in Peter is made proclamation, and um, so you know mm. uh, declared his victory. One one could say, um, and and that idea that um, Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, says to the um, thief uh, that is alongside of him, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." And certainly there is a an intermediary state, a time between um, Christ's yeah. death and resurrection, and and part of that time is spent in paradise uh, with this thief on the cross. And of course, that's a whole other theological discussion in terms of intermediary state. What happened to Old Testament saints? What happens to us? And <laughs> what happens to us before the the resurrection and and ultimately uh, our final union with Christ and our glorified state? Um, but yeah, you you are right. There, there's this intermediary state where Christ continues to work uh, making proclamation uh, of this victory that he has won uh, we we come to Sunday um, yeah. the, mm -hmm. the sun rises uh, a couple of women heading to the tomb uh, to go and embalm the rabbi the teacher uh, in the tomb and they arrive and a stone is rolled away and lo and behold there's angels sitting on it declaring that Jesus Christ is risen <laughs> he is risen mm -hmm. indeed why do you seek the living among the dead I mean just like I, I, it must have been just incredible absolutely amazing we have the story of of Mary uh, in the book of John um, uh, crying confused concerned Jesus appearing to her her not even recognizing him uh, referring to him as the gardener where have you placed his body and Jesus saying it is aha and her declaring Rabona which means teacher uh, and being sent as really the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ <laughs> back to the disciples who are cowering in an upper room uh, in Jerusalem um, sent to, to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ not long after they witnessed Jesus not long after seven days after that taught uh, Doubting Thomas, <laughs> doubting Thomas, um, uh, you know, meets with Christ. Put your hands and mm -hmm. uh, put your fingers in my hand. Your your hand in my side. It is I. Do not be uh, unbelieving, but believe. And and Thomas's great acclamation of faith, my Lord 
and my God. Um, Jesus mm. appearing to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus appearing to, you know, up to 400 people uh, on a mount in Galilee. Um, Jesus appearing, you know, even going back a little bit to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Over and over again, the resurrected Jesus Christ is witnessed by his uh, followers and by those who proclaimed without fear or favor for man and many of them even at the expense of their own life attested to the resurrection of Jesus Christ yeah. from the dead uh, we say what's good about Friday but but really the story doesn't just end on Friday Friday is wonderful Friday lays the pathway for our reconciliation with God but but Mark maybe just tell us what, what's so good about Resurrection Sunday why do Christians just absolutely <laughs> love to be at church and love to be with the saints and love to glorify God uh, on the Sunday that is coming up what, what's so special about Easter in your heart and in your mind well I think there, I think there are, if I can remember them all three things that come to my mind the first one is that Jesus is alive hmm He's not a he's not a dead savior. He's not someone who died, mm. and we can go and visit his tomb where he still is in bodily form. Yes, uh, he he is a living savior, and that that sort of sets us apart from every other or many other religious groupings in the world, many, many other faiths that we don't worship someone who who died and remained dead. We worship someone who died and is alive. So that makes our faith alive as well. The, the second thing that encourages me um, and comes to my mind would be that Paul talks about all the promises of God are yes. And you can hear him shouting, they're yes, uh, amen, <laughs> in Christ Jesus. And to me, when Jesus came out of that tomb and, uh, and was alive again and everybody began to know about him, um, all the promises that God gave of himself to and for his people were absolutely rubber stamped, sealed with the, the wax of heaven. Um, I love that. <laughs> rubber stamped uh, and sealed with the wax of heaven. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, I think that's comes down to, in a very practical way, when when someone messes up as a Christian um, and you can point them to the work the finished work the promised work of Jesus on the cross the empty tomb that means they are fully righteous before God they haven't lost any righteousness and that sort of leads me into the, the, the third but there are many promises by the way um to me, the greatest one is the presence of God uh, in our lives. Um, I'm trying to remember the words of, of a historical preacher, and it, it just escaped me. The life, oh yes, J. Gresham Mackin, the life of God in the soul of man. The life of God in the soul of man, mm. I think it was. But the, the third one to me makes it very personal. Um, Peter. Remember Peter in the garden was all defensive and Peter was the one who before Gethsemane was drawing the Lord aside and saying rebuking him for talking about death and then the one who denied him three times and you can just imagine what must have gone on 
in Peter's mind as Jesus looked at him when he was standing at a distance watching the beginning of the trial. And that was the last look that Peter would have remembered. He may have remembered words, but that was the last look. And as that happened, Peter went out. We know he cried, he wept, and we don't know what was going on in his mind. But then you get these lovely words, and you've alluded to them, where um, the disciples are told, or sorry, the ladies are told a message that they give to the disciples. Tell my disciples and Peter, and Mm. Peter, Mm. to go to Galilee, and I will see them there. And was you could read in that, well, Peter, this is a special message for all of us, but it's an extra special message for you. He wants you to go to Galilee as well. Uh, and imagine Peter's hope being maybe slightly raised, but his fear being raised as well. Is he going to have a, a public rebuke in Galilee from, from Jesus, who apparently has come back from the dead? And of course, we have those lovely words on the beach in John 21 where Jesus comes and has breakfast and you can read about it yourselves but there it's the interesting the words that Jesus uses to Peter because he first of all says Peter do you love me do you love me as a, as a brother and Peter says yes Lord you know I, I do and then the Lord says Peter do you, do you love me really love me as a brother and Peter says yes Lord you know all things you know that I do And then the third time Jesus says, Peter, I use a different word. Peter, do you love me unconditionally the way I love you? And Peter says, Lord, I love you as a brother. Mm. And some people think that was Peter's cop out and maybe sealing his own sentence, as it were. But but that was the most honest answer that Peter could give. We can't love God unconditionally. Mm. Only he can love us unconditionally. And on the basis of Peter's honesty, the Lord reinstates him and his life turned around and he went on to serve God in a most amazing way. And simply to say the resurrection, Mark, for for maybe some listeners listening in who have failed Jesus in their minds, whatever it is, they, they feel there's no way back. I think, look at the story of Peter. Peter is the most wonderful story of the love and grace of God to one who's willing to, to, as it were, go to Galilee to come back and to listen to the words of the Lord. There is hope because all of us fail every day, don't we? And yet here is the hope of the resurrection. Life doesn't end when we fail Jesus. Praise him. Mark, just uh, as we come toward the end of the show, we have time to listen to a a short voice note from Mavis. Gentlemen, and thank you so, so, so much for a wonderful, wonderful program and so much teaching and so much learning and so much understanding again for the so manyth time. Um, I find it amazing that the Word of God is just so ever fresh. You can never say that I've heard it before and I understand it because every time I hear it, I get new understanding and new revelation. And uh, this morning, you gentlemen have really, really just 
You've made me happy and you've made me sad at the same time. But yes, that is part of the story. My question, however, is when Jesus said to that thief on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Did he mean on that same day the gentleman will be with him in paradise? Or is it translated to be saying, today I say to you, that you will be with me in paradise. So when I get to paradise, whenever that may be, you will be with me there. Or was it referring to that specific day? I hope this makes sense. Thank you. Thanks, Mavis, uh, for the question. Uh, Mark, uh, if I can just kind of answer that one off the cuff. Um, there, there is a couple of interpretive um, uh Issues that gets raised in terms of the use of the language in that particular um, sentence. And there's also some translative issues. Uh, in English, we use commas in order to um, help us understand what sentences mean. Um, those commas and those full stops don't exist uh, in the Greek language, which does create a, a couple of a, a couple of interpretive challenges when we come to that particular text. However, uh, let me point out that every major Bible translation inserts the comma before the word today. Um, and so th whether it's the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard Bible, the New International Version, the ESV English Standard Version, I use the Christian Standard Bible, um, all agree that Jesus was speaking of the time that the thief would enter into paradise and so that the thief would be in paradise with Jesus on that very same day. Um, and so that would pretty much be in keeping. I think that was assumed when Mark and I were talking that we both uh, were were taking that interpretation of the text. So we just immediately jumped into the intermediary state uh, and started to talk about uh, what happened in the time in between. And I mentioned paradise in that context earlier in the show. Um, but that would certainly be the, the answer just in terms of the way that the language lends itself toward interpretation um, and so I, I'm guessing uh, in all likelihood whatever um, uh, translation you're using uh, that you have opened before you would affirm and confirm uh, and would confirm that we're coming just, yeah sure Mark we've got, we've I got just maybe a minute. Put a little slip in there yeah. as well um, I think I know where, where the question comes from um, there's another major faith group out there that would um, maybe not quite agree on the timing of things but if you think about it logically as well and this is where the the translators have, have come into it you know why would Jesus have said today I say to you you know there's no real point in talking about about when he said it mm. um, because it doesn't make sense he just has to say it the, the, he doesn't have to tell you I will tell you this today about some time in the future you know uh, both lives are going to end that day um, so practically for, for Jesus to say, you know, I'm telling you this today, that sometime in the future you'll be in paradise. He doesn't have to do that. And my understanding of scripture is always this, that God never wastes words. God never uses words. He doesn't have to. So that would put a very strong argument to the case that what Jesus is saying to that person on the cross is that literally on that day, of their deaths, they will be together in paradise. 
Great. Uh, Mark, thank you so much uh, for for that. Um, there are a couple, I mean, if we had to you know, go to the use of that phrase as well, uh, the other uses of that phrase in the New Testament by Jesus Christ, there's consistency in the way that the um, translators have uh, gone about the translation of that phrase. Mavis, thank you so much for your voice note. Really, really appreciate it. Even as you were asking that question and Mark, as you were talking about Peter, um, I had been looking up Luke 22 and verse 61. I really wanted to bring that in. If you're a listener, you might want to go and take a look at that. Um, what a what a joy um, God's Word is. And you are right, Mavis, always learning new things. And God's Word is fresh. And what a joy um, to go through it. Listeners, we, we come to the end of the show. I, I really want to say thank you so much to Mark who joined me today. I really appreciate your partnership for the for the, in the gospel, um, brother. Um, Love chatting to you. Um, really you. enjoy your accent. Uh, I'm sure we'll be able to catch up a little bit uh, after the show and and just uh, and just say hi. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend ahead of you. My friend, um, yeah, just as you come together with the with the church family for the first time in a long time uh, in Newcastle, I trust that the Lord blesses the socks off of you um, today. Um, friends, our prayers go out to all the elders and deacons holding the line in local churches and our missionaries serving in foreign fields. We also want to remember and pray and give much respect to our first responders who are going to be working over this weekend, uh, the police, uh, firefighters, paramedics and correctional service officers serving our nation with such excellence. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. Uh, there won't be news now. We'll be going on to the next program. So till next week, Friday, go with God and get after it.